listening to the 4-7 Podcast, the podcast where two normal guys interview and reminisce about their favorite Christian artists from the 90s and today. All right, welcome to the 4-7 Podcast. My name is RJ. Uh, my good friend Mike is here today, and we are super excited uh, for a number of reasons. We have started this podcast a couple of months ago, and we've been able to speak to a number of really awesome people, and today is no exception. Today we have Joey West from Disciple. How are you today? I'm great, man. How about yourself? Doing really well. Doing really well. It's uh, It's been a crazy year, um, and yep. we're, we're looked, looking to be starting next year in the same crazy way. So uh, we're getting comfortable. We started a podcast and, and just wanted to have good conversations with some awesome people in the Christian rock scene and then kind of the uh, faith and music scene. So um, thanks for joining us. Oh, dude, thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, it's cool to feel like I've got something on my calendar to do. Uh, <laughs> you know? So like when you guys asked me, I was like, wow, I've got Tuesday night to look forward to <laughs> something to do. I'm excited. That's kind of how this started for me too, and and so about two months ago, I started a different podcast, and I just did it because I was bored. I legit was like, I need to look forward to doing something, so we started doing it, and then Mike hit me up uh, a couple of months after that and was like, hey, do you want to do another one? And I was like, why not? I've got just nothing Heck to do. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. I'm telling you, there is, I, I was talking to Joe before, and I was telling you, I love Christian music. I love knowing about the ins and the outs of the bands, how they started, where they came from. I love talking about their faith. And I said to myself, if I could talk like about faith and Christian music at the same time, let's get any better than that. So let's do it. Nice. Thanks, man. Well, hey, today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the band. I think mainly we're going to kind of dive into you, uh, you know, and kind of where you are, uh, where you are and how this year has affected you and, and kind of the whole the whole band. Uh, but let's start with kind of just where you're from. So Disciple uh, started back in 1992. They've been around for 458 years. And, and now you <laughs> and now you've joined them. Uh, I think it was 2013 end of it, right? Uh, yeah, so I auditioned at the end of 2013 and was made official New Year's Day of 2014. Nice. How yeah. how was it auditioning for Disciple? How was that audition process? Absolutely nerve wracking, man. It was. Uh, oh man, do you? I mean, do you want to hear like the story? Let's you know. I want to hear it because I think it's fascinating. Because, um, I because I remember you were saying you were when you were 15 when you when you really got into it. When you when did you really get into Disciple? Man, I got I got my first disciple record. I was either in middle school or high school, um, and I actually worked at a Christian bookstore my uh, my senior year of high school. I managed the music department, so like I used to buy use my paychecks to buy CDs, and I bought every disciple record that came out. Uh, in my sophomore year of college, I was actually a radio uh, DJ host of the local Christian hard rock rap metal station here in uh in south carolina and i played disciple songs on the radio so i was a, i was a huge fan of the band like, it's and, like yeah. i can't fathom like you're you 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 have the opportunity to audition for your favorite band of yeah. all time and all of a sudden they're like joey we want you to audition i would have pe- i would have peed my pants and out of excitement well, here, here's where it started. You know, I, I'll try to keep it as condensed as I can, but like, you know, not to take up too much time. But 
Um, so I started in 2011. I got an audition with a old indie pop rock band that was a that was in the Christian market named After Edmund. Uh, they were from Atlanta, Georgia, and I got a uh, chance to audition for them. Uh, and they picked me, uh, and I started playing for them. And I played with uh, for two years. And at the end of 2013. Uh, the band was going to be dispersing and everything. And one of our last American runs disciple uh, decided that we were going to be their opening band. And I couldn't believe it. Like I was just like, we're opening for disciple. This is amazing. You know, like, Holy junk. Like this is, I've, I've made it mom. Look at me, you know? So I, I was just stoked to be on tour with those guys and get to watch them night after night. Well, um, a guy that I had gone to church with, his name's Evan Silver. He used to be the uh, tour manager for Disciple. And he called me right before tour. that tour happened. And he was like, hey, what if I told you that Disciple is potentially interested in you becoming their next drummer? And I was like, I was just kind of on the phone like, dude, don't mess with me like that. You know, I, I, there's no way I'm good enough to play for them or whatnot. He's like, no, 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 I'm serious. He's like, Trent's leaving at the end of the year. Kevin called me, asked me if I knew of anyone, and I put your name in the pot. He's like, so Kevin's going to be watching you play every night, so don't screw it up. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure yeah. there. So legit, the, these nine shows, like I said tour, it was really more like just kind of a short two-week run. I think it was nine shows in, in all. Um and every night, man, just sweaty palms, like just absolutely wanting to just vomit all over myself. And, you know, I got I got to know the guys on on that short little tour. Um, Kevin invited me up on the bus a few times to watch some college football. So, you know, I was just kind of like, dude, this is incredible, you know. And uh, and then after that tour, Kevin at, uh, called me and was like, hey, what's your future plans? And I was like, well, the band is you know, kind of disintegrating at the end of this year. And he's like, well, I'd love for you to come audition for us. And I was like, okay. So, um, so yeah. And, and then the audition process was basically, they were on tour with audio adrenaline. Uh, I think that tour was about six weeks long. It was audio adrenaline disciple and stellar cart. If I remember correctly, I can't remember if there was a fourth band, um, but they were auditioning six drummers. So every week of the tour, each drummer had the opportunity to come out on the road, live on the bus for a week, play the shows. And then afterwards they were going to make their decision. Um, because, you know, as most people who are not in a band don't know, you're only on stage for an hour, hour and a half tops a night. So those other 22 and a half to 23 hours of the day, you're stuck in a metal tube with people. So you got to make sure nobody's crazy and uh, psychotic and you can't get along with them. Cause one, one bad egg on a bus brings the whole vibe down. So, um, so yeah, so I got to go audition on that tour and then the rest is history. Nice. Well, Hey, you started uh, by saying you're in South Carolina. I think you grew up in South Carolina too. Tell us a little bit about living in South Carolina. What's that like? Yeah, man. I was, I'm originally from Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Um, my parents, um, you know, were awesome young people and were like, Hey, we're moving to the beach. Uh, so I was born on that little tiny Island down in, uh, in South Carolina at the southernmost point of South Carolina. Uh, lived in Beaufort for a little while, which is a little bit north of there, right on the coast. And then my dad's job moved us to the upstate of South Carolina in Spartanburg. 
um, where I lived most of my life. I've moved around a little bit, lived in Nashville for a brief stint, uh, but I moved back to Spartanburg uh, a couple of years ago and it was like one of the best decisions I've ever made. You know, when, when 19 year old Joey left Spartanburg, he was an angry young man, you know, like I'm never coming back, you know, this place sucks, whatever. And now I'm back and I'm like, this place is actually awesome. And so I'm, I'm around my family again. And, you know, South Carolina is great. You know, we get all four seasons and um, you get the, the best of all the hot weather and, you know, it gets, it gets decently cold. Some winters are more mild than others, but you know, I love it. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's cheap to live here. I tell way too many people that I need to start telling people how bad it sucks. Cause if there's one people that move here, it's just going to get more and more expensive to live here. So um it's it's a little slice of heaven to me so so joe joe Joe, did you grow up in the church like how did you become a christian uh yeah um i you know i've been in church since i was before i knew i was a human you know yeah Uh, so uh my dad was a youth pastor briefly uh while we were in beaufort at a church um and that wasn't his like full-time profession it was just kind of one of those churches that needed a youth volunteer my dad was just always very, very like had a heart for young people. And he still does. He's, he's so good with like kids and teenagers and everything. Um, and so I've been in church ever since I was young. Um, and you know, I grew up in church, but I don't think I ever really took it seriously. You know, I got baptized like 82 times cause that was my opportunity to swim in church. And, uh, you know, so in the South, you know, you switch churches like every three weeks cause you know, Brenda over here makes somebody mad. And then, Mr. Whoever makes somebody mad over here and, you know, everybody's just church drama and all that junk. So um, I don't think I actually really realized who Jesus was until I was about 21 years old. And um, I gave my life to Jesus for what I think was for real on December 6th of 2009. Um, But I did grow up in church. I just don't know if I was saved. I might have been saved. I don't. I don't know. But you know, uh, once I finally realized that Jesus didn't hate me because of the music that I listened to or the clothes that I wore, uh, which is kind of what I was taught growing up, um, you know, I finally figured out. I was like, okay, I can get down with this. Like, you know, now that I know exactly like who He is and that He is, He's all loving, and He made me the way He made me because you know, there's only one of me. And he he designed me to like the things that I like. And, you know, that's transitioned into me being able to play the music that I like um, and help others. So. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I grew up in a church that was also very legalistic. And girls couldn't wear pants. Guys couldn't have long hair. Um, I remember there was a story where they, they actually kicked a guy out of a basketball game for having long hair. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Yikes. So... Funny story, when Tom and I tie this into the last podcast, RJ, remember that church that where my, my church is buying? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so my, ch- my current church is buying a church. So the church that they're buying is the church that was so legalistic that they got run out of town. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amen to that. So, wow. <laughs> so, Mike, so essentially you, j- you basically left that church and then you bought them out and kicked them all out. And now I'm, now my, I'm going back to that church with my other church. We're moving in. All right. All right. Okay. Well, hey, so, uh, you know, you grew up in South Carolina. Let's, let's talk about a little bit of the tidbits of kind of who you are. Um, you know, you've spoken in the past about um, money being debt free. 
um, how important that is to you. Um, you know, so uh, speak on that a little bit. I know you're, you're, that's a, a pretty proud thing to, to have. Um, yeah. and so, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, you know, when I was, uh, when I was young, high school, early college, if I had a dollar, I would spend two, you know, like I, I, it was like money would get in my hands and I'd spend it so fast on all the most useless stuff. I mean, like DVDs, because back then, you know, we didn't have streaming and everything. So you had to buy the movies that you liked, you know, and I still have actually all of them, which is hilarious to me. And I never, ever use them, you know, but there's hundreds and hundreds of dollars of, of DVDs in there next to my TV. Um, but man, like when I got to be about like, uh, I'd say 22 or 23, um, you know, I, I had to buy my first car, you know, my, my parents blessed me a lot, you know, like when I was like 16 and stuff, they put me in, in a car and everything. It wasn't anything like extravagant or whatnot, but they, they put me in a car they and all that good stuff. But after that car wore out, it was kind of their way of being like, okay, Hey, you know, your cell phone bill is going to go in your name. Your insurance is going to go in your name. Uh, if you want another car, you're going to have to work and buy it. And they'd always taught me my entire life. Like, if you want something, you got to work to get it. So this was like one of the best lessons that they ever did was kind of like not, well, I mean, not kicking me out of the nest, but like basically being like, hey, nothing in life is free and you're going to have to work for it. So when I was about 22, 23, um, I went and had a meeting with um with somebody at the church that I was going to at the time who was a financial advisor. And I was just like, I need to know how to budget, you know, I need to know like how to like get my finances in order to where I can be set up for the uh, biggest success uh, as, as I possibly can. So they got, he kind of helped me understand the ins and outs of like how to, you know, cause I started tithing faithfully at that time in my life. Um, and then kind of like paying yourself, in a, in a savings account. And then also like taking care of all your other stuff and just slowly chipping away at it. Well, once I started doing that, man, I, the Lord just kind of like started being like, Hey, put like, put, learn how to live off of way less, like all this spending you're doing, you don't need all this stuff. And so I kind of started taking like a little bit more of a minimalist approach. Um, and so when I first started out, I would tithe my 10%, I would pay myself at least 10%. And then I would, um, you know, live off of the rest of it, you know, and, and pay my bills and everything. And it's not like I was making an extravagant amount of money at that point in my life anyways. Um, but eventually I got to where the car was paid off, school was paid off, um, and I had, I had no debt to my name. And I just kept saving. I kept saving. And then eventually that tithing 10% and paying myself 10% to a savings account, um, I started tithing 10% and started paying myself 30% and living off of the 60%. And now it's transitioned to where I figured out how to tithe my 10%, live off 10 to 20% of my paycheck and save, uh, I guess the other 60 to 80 and put it in a savings account. So as I've gone over the years, you know, I've, I've just kind of like redone my equation and anytime I've had like a big purchase or something that I've had to do because I've been saving like that since I was 22, 23, I've just been able to like pay cash for stuff if I needed to um, and still have stuff left over to where if I had some like fallout emergency, we're good to go. And this year has been nothing short of a fallout emergency. So, um, uh, so 
taking all those like steps back about 10 years ago really helped me this year to not have to be like, well, where is my rent coming from? Where is my, uh, the money to pay for food coming from and all that good stuff. Um, so, so yeah. And there was actually a few times along the way where, you know, I got, I got Harley fever for a while. So I bought a Harley and I had it, I was making payments on it. And then there was, there came a point I was just like, you know what, man, like it's cool having that, but I don't need that. And I kind of just want to be like fully debt free as a 25. I think I was 25 when I had that or 26. I was like, I just want to like live completely debt free. And so I sold it and uh, the lead guitarist of Breaking Benjamin actually bought it. And uh, my buddy, Jason Rao, who used to be in red. Um, and uh, he called me up and was like, I'll buy that bike like within a day of me putting it up. So I was like, well, that was easy. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been, I've been debt free ever since. So. Now being in a band, it's kind of, there's not too many loaded Christian artists who are out there. So here's my, here's my question for you. Taking this mindset of saving money and learning how to save, how has that helped you being in the band and actually managing your finances? It's actually helped me like be a musician and not have to do a bunch of other stuff. You know, like it's helped me like make music my sole career, which is what I want to do. Not that I'm not that I'm lazy and I don't want to go, you know, work elsewhere. It's like, but if I can just do music full time and focus on that solely, that's what I do. So like when young musicians ask me for advice, I always tell them like, Hey, beyond practicing and being a good person and being somebody that wants to like, uh, that people want to work with, get smart with your finances. Now, like you gotta be smart because, and you know, you gotta take care of your responsibilities too. So starting out, you know, I had to work a bunch of jobs that I hated while pursuing music. To, so that later on in life where I'm at now, it's like I don't have to go work all these like random gig jobs in order to like keep myself afloat. You know, I can actually like chill and enjoy being a musician and focusing solely on that. It may not be like that forever, but for now, the season that I'm in in life, I disciple is my one and only my one and only job. So, um, yeah, being smart with the finances has definitely helped me have a way less stressful life. <laughs> I, um, now you're, you're not married, right? Yeah. You have a girlfriend. Yeah, I do have a girlfriend. I'll so tell you, it's probably I'll, another reason why I'm okay because I don't have kids to pay for it. Well, have well that's what, this is what I'm talking about. I'm saying like I'm married, me and RJ are married. RJ has two three kids, kids, three, three kids. kids. I have two and we're married. Most people don't have your mindset when they're single. So I'm telling you right now, you will be you're setting you are setting yourself up for success, yeah. which and stress that one of the biggest stresses in marriage is finances. Yeah, you are. I can guarantee you, you are not going to have any arguments. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool the cool thing is, is I found a girl who has the same mindset as me and who also you know uh, saves money. Um, you know, yeah, we. Like, you know, I, I am I'm definitely not like, you know, put all this money over here and never spend it because, you know, like I could be gone next week. You yep. know, I, I could die next week and that money can't go with me. So it's like I want to enjoy the fruit of my labor as cl as cliche as that sounds. But it's like, you know, we we still like spend money and go have experiences and whatnot. But at the same time, it's like 
let's be smart about it. Let's not go out and live above our means, you know, like let's live within our means so that we can enjoy where we're at and not have to stress constantly about like, you know, I got to make an extra 50 bucks for this, you know, or whatever. So I can definitely, I can definitely relate to that because my wife is the cheapest person you'll ever meet in your life. That's awesome. It is. And she doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. No, but the great thing about having that and what you're saying is we, we actually did the Dave Ramsey before we got married. We took the Dave Ramsey course. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an amazing thing because when a husband and wife can be on the same page financially, it is that's one that is probably one of one of the not that not the biggest but one of the biggest blessings in your marriage. Yeah, I, and you know I've always heard that that money is like the leading cause of divorce. Oh and, yeah, you know as I'm I'm 32 and you know I still have never been married and you know I guess I'm just you know I've been I've been too picky over the years or you know you gotta and, pop the question. Yeah, maybe don't rush the guy. Don't rush the guy. Eventually, but you know, it's uh, it's been partly due to me being too picky, and partly due to me being completely an idiot. Um, you know, uh, over the years, and just yeah, 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 not doing not doing that stuff right. But um, but yeah, you know, I I always say it's like when I get married, you know, that's that's who I whoever I get married to, like that's the last person I want to be with. You know, so. Um, so uh, as far as hearing that money is the biggest cause of divorce, it's like, I want to have that fixed, you know, <laughs> I want to, I want to have that issue resolved before I ever go into that. So, um, yeah. think, think I'm doing all right. You know? Yeah. Ma- I think, Ma- go for it. I think Mike said it too. And I'll say it for me. I, I, I was super interested when I heard about you speaking about being debt free and stuff, because I think in the church, that's super important for the church to, to, to be talking about, too, to set people up, because you're not learning that in a lot of different places. The school doesn't really teach you that to the degree you need it. And unless your family is, uh, you know, I really think it's really important to have it in there. And uh, speaking yeah. from me, too, I've been mar- I, I got married a little later, too, and we don't have that problem in our, in our marriage. You know, we don't that's fight awesome. over that because we're both kind of on the same page. So, again, I think you're yeah. setting yourself up, you know, for some success there. And I've also uh, seen my, I've also seen my parents be smart with money like they they paid their house off like i think it's going on like seven or eight years and it was way before their 30 year thing and it's not because they're loaded with money it's because they would literally say no to a bunch of extra in order to let's get this out of the way so that we can enjoy our lives you know yeah Mm -hmm. now they're like they're getting to enjoy themselves you know and that's that's what i want you know like when I get closer to the end of my life, it's like, I don't want no stresses. Like, I just want to go enjoy it, you know? Yeah. So. My, my, my wife told me, and I'm not kidding when I say this, and I actually appreciate her. So her desire was always to be a stay-at-home mom. And I admire that. And I love that because we have two kids. She's a stay-at-home mom. And we first started dating. Um, so I'm a photographer, and <laughs> photographers are not known to make a lot of money. So yeah. she's like, you know – if you can't support a family, then we can't do this. You know, if you if you can't support me to be a stay-at-home mom, and we can't do it. And I actually admire her for that because not not everyone can be a stay-at-home mom, but when you, when you can do it, it, it is an awesome awesome thing. And yeah. uh, she pretty she pretty much told me she's like, if you don't if you can't make money, I'm not saying yes. So, <laughs> well, our our running joke is is like no matter who we date or who we're married to, they're automatically a sugar mama because they definitely do what we do. 
That's what I did. That's what I did. Amen to that. Being a musician, they're just sugar mama by default. Like it, <laughs> it, it, it's not even like you know looking for one. It's like no, they're just all sh- they're, they're all sugar mamas because they make more money than us. So. That's fantastic. Before we get into kind of the disciple uh, part of your life here, uh, just a couple of quick, you got to, you got to answer them real quick, quick hit questions. Number one, favorite band to tour with. Ooh. Uh, One of, I'll say one of, because I don't want to make other people feel bad. So one of favorite uh, band to tour with. And you're wanting quick answers. I'm not good at thinking quick. So you might have to give me a second, man. uh, Decipher down. Okay. Really? Love those boys. Are they st- are they still around? Um, kind of. You know, most most of the guys are not touring anymore, and TJ's doing his solo like country thing now. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, but man, the the tours that we've had with them, like where they rode our bus, oh my gosh, me me and Brandon are probably the closest friends out of any of them. Yeah yeah yeah. Because he, he lives in North Carolina. And I got, he lives down on the coast, so I'll go stay with him sometimes and, and track in his studio and whatnot. And um, I just love those boys. And I, to add to that, Children 18.3 is also one of my favorite bands to tour with as well. Because they're fun to hang out with offstage and just watching them play a show every night is incredible. Yeah. So. Decipher Down was a really good band. And I'm, I'm actually surprised they did not get at any... I, I'm surprised they didn't get bigger than they actually were because they were really, really good. Yeah, it's it's so weird because you know, like that mid two thousands was just like the pinnacle for a lot of those bands. Like, yeah, even, even like that was probably the biggest time for Disciple too. Um, and just I, I don't know what the it's 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 just kind of like the downward slope. And they they say that everything comes back around, but. We've been at the bottom of the roller coaster for a while, you know, as, as far as Christian rock goes. So hoping that the pendulum swings back to rock way at some point. But <laughs> How about favorite Christian rock artists kind of grown up other than Disciple? P.O.D. Amen to that. Yes. P.O.D. Like, I didn't even have to think about that one. They were my all-time favorite band. That's, yes. who, that's who made me fall in love with music. I saw that Southtown music video on MTV. And when it busted in and they're just in the middle, like they got the crowd circled around them. I just was like, this is what I want to do with my life. <laughs> have you had, have you had the opportunity to play with POD yet? Haven't had the opportunity to play with them, but I did get a chance to meet them uh, two years ago. If you want to hear a pretty decent story. Absolutely. Yes, I it. love it. Cause I'm a huge POD fan. So let's hear it. Okay. So, uh, so a co- about a year before that, so that, uh, sorry, I, it is going to be a little bit longer. Okay. So <laughs> we were in Anaheim, California, and we had a friend of ours that worked at Disneyland who got us free passes. I'm not really into the whole Disney thing, but I was like, you know, it's our off day. I'll go. So we get into Disneyland. It's like an hour or two. And I'm like, ah, this sucks. I don't want to be here. You know, like, and so I started just Googling like what was going on in LA and all this stuff just to see like what, what was going on around me. And something for POD popped up on my phone and it said POD's playing tonight in LaGora Hills. And I was like, that's two hours north of LA. Who do I know that will drive me to LaGora Hills and go see a POD concert with me? So I called a promoter buddy of mine. His name's Mario. And I was like, hey, man, I'm at Disneyland and I don't want to be here. I want to go see POD you down. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I'll buy our tickets right now. You can just pay me back later. 
He's like, I'll come pick you up. So he came pick me up, went to the show, got front row, had an amazing time. Like legit, they're playing. This is my first time seeing POD live too. So keep in mind, this is like a spiritual experience for me. Trust me, I've been there. Yeah, they're playing Southtown, and I am Ooh. I am boohooing like literally like grown man tears because I I just have so much emotion uh connected to that stuff and i'm just like man if i ever get to meet these guys they're gonna be like is that the dude that was crying during <laughs> um but i'm just like sitting there just shouting just work like all the lyrics at him and i have video of this like sonny putting the microphone in my face like letting me sing the songs and everything nice, else nice. this is incredible so i didn't get to meet them that night which was a huge bummer um but some friends of mine well uh, some disciple fans were actually at the show and one of them managed to get a set list and came over and gave it to me and was like, you should have this. And I was like, I love you forever. Like, you know, let me know next time you come to a disciple show, I'll put you on the guest list. Like I, this is a cherished item. So I put it on my bunk in the tour bus, had this set list for probably a year and a half, I want to say. And so they end up playing in Greenville, South Carolina, which is about 45 minutes from me um, a couple of Decembers ago. And a, uh, some friends of mine have a band called Islander that you may have heard of. Uh, I'm, they, they're kind of been in like the Christian market and the Warped Tour scene. Sure. I'm not sure how well known they are. But they were on tour with POD. And so I went to hang out with them. So uh, at the end of the show, I was out there helping them load their equipment in their trailer. And Wolf comes walking by, who is my all-time inspiration for drumming. Yeah. Like, here we go. This is my shot. I'm about to be that guy. And so I walked right up to him and I was like, I was like, well, can I get like just a few minutes of your time? And he was like, absolutely, man. He was so, so kind and so nice. Like he looked like he was on a mission to go somewhere and do something. And I totally like wrecked those plans, but he was like so gracious to talk to me. And I was just like, man, I just want to let you know, like you are the reason I ever picked up drumsticks. You've really, really inspired me so much. You still do to this day. Um, and I've actually gotten the opportunity to, you know, play music for a living and be in a band and everything. I just want to say thank you. And that's all I said. And he goes, oh, man, that's so cool. You know, that, that's that's really neat. And I was like, can I have a picture with you? Shot a picture. And we get done. I shake shake his hand. And he goes, you said you played for a band. And I was like, yeah. He goes, what's the name of your band? And I was like, uh, Disciple. And he goes, D Disciple, like Disciple, Disciple. And I was like yes and he goes, oh! he goes he goes like game on disciple and i was like yes and he goes no way he's like come with me and i was like see you guys like <laughs> have fun loading the trailer see you later um and so i uh he like walked me to their bus opened the door and was like come on up and i dude my legs are shaking i'm like my adrenaline's pumping and I get up there and he gets up there and goes, yo, the homie from disciples here. And Sonny turned around and was like, he's like disciple, disciple, like the disciple. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's like, bro. He's like, so cool. He's like, come in and sit down. And I sat on the bus for like 45 minutes and just chilled and just talked and got to like share my story. And no joke, that set list that I got, I had taken it to the show just in case I got to meet them because I didn't get it signed the last time. And I pulled it out of my pocket and I was like, guys, I've held on to this set list since y'all show at the Canyon Club in LaGora Hills. 
can y'all please sign it? And Sonny thought it was the coolest thing that I had like hung on to a set list that long. That's and, awesome. And so I've got it, I've got it in, in there now. So in my, in my living room. That's so, here, so here's the question. Cause I'm a huge POD fan too. Yeah. The album satellite is just a beast of an album. What is your favorite album? Uh, still has to be fundamental elements of South town. Like I know satellites, like what double or triple platinum. At this yeah. Point, I think. Um, yeah, obviously their most successful record, but I'm, there's just something about that South town record. Like I, nothing, nothing can compare with it to me. Like, Oh man, that, those songs just hit so deep with me. Um, and then satellite second favorite. I love testify. Testify uh, is fantastic. Testify was a very, very good album. Like I remember when Marcos left the band, you know, for that brief stint and I was just like, I don't know how this record's going to sound. And it had some bangers on it. Like absolutely it a great album. So, but yeah, fu the, the fundamental elements of Southtown all time favorite. Nice. Um, so it's funny that the, the, the band, I, I think you said you, you did, you never heard of the band, but we had Dogwood on last week mm -hmm. and have you, Dogwood was actually on rescue records, which was Woo's father's label who produced and distributed, um, the first two POD albums, snuff the punk and Brown. Really? Okay. Yeah. I did not. I didn't know Wub's dad owned the label. Yeah. So, his dad owned Rescue Records back in the day. Rescue Records was a label out of San Diego, California. Uh, they had four bands. They had POD, which was POD. Then they had Dogwood, which was more of a skate punk band. Mm -hmm. um, and then they had NIV, which was the hardcore band. They had another band, All Christian. Um, they released their two first two albums, Snuff the Punk and Brown, off the off that album, and then once they got signed to Atlantic Records in '99, I think it was. Yeah. They ended up re-releasing those albums, um, I think, through Razor Tie or something like that. I think you're right. Yeah. So fun fact: I sang Pod's "Thinking About Forever" at my aunt's funeral. It's uh, really? one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done, and also the coolest. So it's uh, that's, a, that's a great song. I love that song. That's that's that's, that's my crying moment. Is the thinking about yeah. forever song? But yeah. So I got into uh, Disciple uh, back in 2005 uh, when the wait is over uh, came out on X 2006. This this album called X was like all these Christian artists every year X 2003 all the way to like 12 or whatever. And so on X 2006, wait is over Disciple. I was like blown away got into it um, a lot. Um, we talked a little bit about you joining the band and how that came about. Uh, what was it like recording the first album with Disciple? Kind of like the, you know, you guys were doing a Kickstarter campaign, if I can remember. Yep. Um, and um, you guys did that independently. So what was that like for you? Um, you know how I said earlier, like with my audition, I just wanted to vomit all over myself. Well, that was multiplied by like 10. So <laughs> So this is, so I was at the end of 2013, you know, I had just auditioned and then I had one last commitment with after Edmund where we were in Europe for about a month. Um, so we were in Denmark and the guys sent me all of the demos for attack. And I was under the impression cause I knew that they were going into the studio shortly at the beginning of like after the beginning of the year of 2014, I 100% thought 
there's no way I'm playing on this next album. Like they're probably going to hire somebody to come in play because I'm the new guy, you know, they're not just going to give me the reins. Well, they start sending me demos and I'm like, Oh, this sounds cool. These sound cool. And Kevin's like, no, no, no. Like be listening. He's like, you're, you need to start writing drum parts to this stuff. And I was like, uh, why? Like how, how many, like one, two, three, you're three, like, three. You're like say that again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, he's like, you're playing on the whole album. And I was like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to do that? And he's like, he's like, you're our drummer now. He's like, that's what, that's what a drummer of a band does. And I was like, wow. And so I, I look back at that moment. I'm like, man, Kevin had a lot of trust in me to have never really had me in the band as a writer, you know, contributing to any of the music. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, it, it was literally just my time in Europe, just sitting there listening to all the demos from attack and just kind of writing parts in my head. I didn't really have a drum kit to practice on there because it was constantly packed up in this uh, this trailer, and it was like a rented drum kit over there. And it was, it was not, it was not good at all. It was not a great great drum set, nor would it have been good to practice on. Uh, but but yeah, so I you know we started recording. I can't remember what month. I want to say it was January or February. And, uh, you know, my first day in the studio, we're in there with Travis Wyrick, who is this just legendary producer who has produced most of the Disciple albums. And man, I, woo, yeah, it, it took, it took me a minute to like warm up to it. Cause like I was playing and Travis would be like, why are you holding back? He's a legend. Yeah. He, he got, he brought the best out in me, but I was just literally like, I'm going to play these songs and they're going, they're in there sitting there thinking, why did we hire this guy? You know, why did we hire? And that, that's all that I'm hearing in my head because I I'm that kind of person where I'm just like constantly in my own head. And, uh, and Travis would just be like, Hey man, take a deep breath. Why are you holding back? He's like, I need you to play like Joey plays. He's like, we all know what you, what you can do. And so he just kind of coached me in almost kind of like a football coach. You know, there'd be some times where he would, he, he'd get on me <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it didn't feel good in the moment, but I was like, well, it, it kicked my butt into shape and made me work. It made me realize my, my full potential. Um, and so, you know, being in the studio with him, it just, it just, it jived. And, you know, I was very, very, very nervous, but I was very, very happy when it was over. <laughs> nice. fun, fun fact, uh, Travis Wyrick, um, legendary producer but he was also in a band an industrial hardcore band back in the day called wyrick was he he was huh. ask him about it. he was in a band called wyrick back in the day i knew he was in that uh hair metal band sage yeah like i know i know that they did that i'll have to ask him about that yeah he was in a, an industrial like hardcore band called wyrick back like an electronic hardcore band back in the day Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now new things about my friend Travis. <laughs> so I had a question for you. So you joined Disciple and the band that you grew up on, you the original members were obviously Brad Noah, Mr. Barrett, then you had Kevin. Are they is is, is Brad Noah is he still involved at all? I remember when after Scars remained, I believe at one time he was still involved in the writing process. But is he at all involved anymore? No, he's not. Um, I, I, I think Kevin talks to him every now and then. I think I hear him say, like, I talked to Brad or whatnot. Um, I know him and Tim talk fairly often. Yeah. 
but yeah, no, no, ne- neither one of those guys are involved in the uh, in the writing processes anymore. Now, when you guys write the music for Disciple, now do you like do you guys try to? Um, you guys, do you just go for the whole the sound you're going for now, or do you try to really tie it into the old disciple, into and the new disciple? How do you guys? What's your writing process for disciple? Oh man, well, it, it really is just kind of like a a team effort. I mean, I will say I'm probably the weakest link when it comes to writing music. Um, I'm I've never really been like a lyricist or you know a guy that knows notes. Like I, I know the notes on a keyboard, but not enough to sit down and wow you or anything. Um, so Josiah Prince is one of the most like songwriting machines I've ever like met. Um, he's just constantly cranking out demos. So like, you know, for every, like, if there's one demo that's just like, nah, he's, he's got six more that are just all golden demos, you know? And then Kevin, you know, he has ideas too, and he'll record stuff on voice memos where he'll either like, mouth the drum part that he's thinking or mouth the guitar part or just send us a vocal idea and honestly it it starts with just a demo that gets passed around in emails and people start adding their layers to it and josiah will send me stuff that's just guitar without drums on it and i can track it right here at my house and start working out ideas and everything and this demo just ends up getting passed around until it becomes basically a complete song nice Uh, and uh and yeah i mean him andrew and kevin are constantly writing for me i kind of more wait on them to send something because i'm i can't sit down with a guitar and be like hey guys came up with this nifty riff you know um like i I, i've got no skills there so (laughs) you don't give yourself enough credit because according to james mead we asked him this point blank question last week if you could start a band, anybody, secular, non-secular, who would it be? He said, hands down, Joey from Disciple would be my drummer. Wow. Dude, <laughs> he's, too, he's too kind. He, I know he knows better drummers than me. So uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, he, he was like adamant. I'm passionate about it. He's like, yo, dude, you, like, from a personal level and a playing level, you don't get better than Joey. That was, like, that was almost verbatim. Yeah, we we toured. We did that tour with Cutlass. I guess that was two years ago now, back in the fall of 2018. And they rode our bus, and I just got to be really close with James. Like, um, you know, yeah. I, I became friends with all the guys, and actually got to fill in with Cutlass for like three nights when their drummer had to miss out on some shows. Um, but yeah, man, just became great friends with him. And like last fall, we were in Portland on an off day. James came and picked us up, and it was actually on my birthday. So he like took me to this uh, restaurant that he was like, we got to go here for your birthday. And he's just all around, just a great dude. And it's been awesome, like getting to know him. And, um, you know, and Cutlass was a band that I listened to uh, also with Disciple when I was younger. So it's kind of like, you know, 14 year old Joey is over here just like wetting his pants right (laughs) now, you know? So know, you've done some really cool stuff in the last in the last ten years. You're you're in Disciple, the band you listened to when you were 16 years old. Yeah. Then randomly, Cutlass is like, "Hey, can you fill in?" Yeah. And, then, oh. and, and now you're on this podcast with us. Yeah, man, it's been it's been wild. Like ever since I joined, like you know, I've played. Uh, Decipher Down has had me uh, play. Oh, wow. That's uh, cool. I recorded drums for one of Fireflight's singles and played live for them. I played nice. live for Project 86. Literally, like. All these bands that, I mean, my CD collection was just full of 
I've gotten the chance to play with, and it's just been unbelievable, you know, uh, unbelievable. Something that sets Disciple apart, I think, from a majority of Christian rock bands, not all of them, because I think there are many, many good ones, but what I think sets it apart is faith is at the forefront Absolutely. Of, of your lyrics, of your music, of your experience, your performances. It's not... It's not like you can go to a concert and go, I wonder what they believe. Like it, it, you, you understand that yeah. faith is at the forefront. So what did that look like? Or what does that look like in the process, in the day-to-day -day with the band? How do, what, what does that look like, faith, on the forefront of your process? As far as like writing the music? Writing the music and then also just kind of day-to-day as a band. What kind of sets you guys apart from any old band? Well, man, I mean, you know... The probably the biggest misconception is, is that we have, um, we're like these like super Christians or we've got it all together. Uh, which I don't, I don't think you guys think that, but there are a lot of people who do think they're in a Christian band. They're saying the name of Jesus and they don't have problems. It's like, dude, at the other end of the day, we, we are, we are dudes in a band and like we have the same exact struggles as everybody else. We, we get up and put our pants on the same way that everybody does. Um, and you know, I, the, the thing that I love about our band is that we're just not afraid to be like who we are um, and talk about how good God is despite how, you know, maybe not good we are. Um, and so the fact that he keeps giving us opportunities to get on stage and point to his goodness and point to his grace, I think is like probably what motivates us the most. And that keeps us in that vein because, you know, Ke Kevin could tell this story a whole lot better than me. And obviously I was not in the band at this time, but there was one night uh, back early in the band's career where a big label executive from Columbia records came to a show and his management was basically telling him like, you don't need to read from the Bible tonight. This guy is Jewish and we don't want to offend him. We want to like, you know, do all we can so that Columbia Records signs on to this. And um, Kevin's like, no, like I'm I'm doing the show how Disciple does the show. And if, the, if they want to work with us, then they'll work with Disciple. He's like, I'm not going to change or dumb down like what we're out there to do in order to impress a label executive. And it didn't work out with Columbia Records uh, for that very reason. And you know, that's, I think that's kind of what Kevin has always like stuck to. I've heard him say, you know, there's, there's people that are like, would y'all ever go mainstream? Would y'all ever like sing about other stuff? And it's like, you know, if some of our songs that aren't uh, advertently like uh, Jesus or scripture or whatnot, it's more kind of like maybe a fictitious story that relates to somebody going through, um, you know, hard times or whatnot. If that gets picked up on mainstream radio, great, but we're not going to sacrifice the message and what we stand for because, um, you know, Kev Kevin's basically said, he's like, what do you want me to sing about? Girls, why? He's like, what's the point? You know, what, 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 what else is there that you want me to sing about and why? You know, and it's just like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. And so that, that's what we keep going back to because, you know, that's at the end of the day, Disciple exists to um, reach people that listen to this style of music. Um, who can't get it anywhere else. And we want to give them something that's like clear cut. You don't have to sit here and dissect the lyrics to try to find a meaning. It's like, it's just right there for you. Easy to digest. So, so yeah, I love that. Like, you know, something too. And I think one of the biggest, like I said, I love you guys is because your faith is 
right there for everyone to see. And I we we get it. You're not perfect. You're not going to be a perfect Christian, and neither we're not perfect people either. But you take your ministry serious. That's yeah. what I love. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name the band because I don't want to just throw it out there. But I was at a concert one time, and I'm in the back, and actually long. This is actually tied to this. Um, Josh O'Connell, your sound guy. Great guy. Great guy, by the way. He's one of my favorite people on the entire planet. I know him because in Rhode Island, there's a concert promoter that we both know. And I used to do pictures for the live shows. I'm like, okay, I can go to the concert for free if I just take pictures. I'm in. (laughs) But that's how I met Josh. But anyway, so um, this concert promoter put on a concert. And there was this bigger, bigger name there. And they kept saying, they, they wouldn't say the name Jesus from stage. They kept saying, we believe in a higher power, hope. So finally, after like 10 minutes, I, I, I literally yelled out, I'm like, just say Jesus. Just say it. Because I find so many bands, they're afraid to put the label of Christianity of who they are. Like, if you're a Christian, own it. Yeah. For sure. Um, I mean, and that, you know, that's, um, that's just something that, you know, I, and that's what even like, I feel like I claim being a, being a Christ follower more than anything, because like, I am a very, very open person about like stuff that I go through my dark, my dark stuff. And it's just like, you know, if God says that, you know, my, what is it? What's the, see, and I'm not a, I'm not a Bible scholar either, but, um, my uh what is it my strength is made perfect in your weakness or whatever my my grace or whatever um and and that's where i've always come back to it's like you know what i don't have a problem being open about you know the fact that i went through a very dark time with depression and anxiety because there's a crap ton of people out there going through it that think i can't talk about this because i'm supposed to like be this christian and like have it all together and you know just give it to Jesus. And obviously I know I'm, I must not be doing the right things or giving it to Jesus because I still feel this way. It's like, no, nah, like you're perfectly normal because here's, here's somebody on stage that you think has it all together, but is actually pretty miserable, you know? And like, you know, fortunately I'm, I'm on the other side of that and I've learned how to like cope with that and deal with some root issues that were causing that. But that was my thing. I was just like, you know what, man, I'm so sick of this, like pretty up, I got to be suit and tie Christian, have it all together. It's like, man, I'm, I'm a completely jacked up person that's saved by Jesus. I might be barely saved, but at least I'm saved, you know? And and I'm going to like tell people like, I'm not perfect. I got, I got none of this together. I got, I, I hardly feel like I have any answers, but dude, God is good. And he's given me this opportunity to spread some hope and let people know that they're not alone. And that's what I'm going to do till the day I die is just let people know that they're not alone. And that's why I like disciple what everything you just said right there. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my, some of my biggest moments in faith have been hearing from people on the stage, talk about real life stuff, not faking it. You know, I've heard so many people, Oh, we don't have any issues in our marriage or we don't have this. And I'm like, that's a lie. Like everybody has stuff and uh, especially depression and anxiety. That's such a huge part of our world today, sadly. And, um, you know, my, my wife has dealt with that in the past too. So I've gotten kind of a a front row seat to to that. And, um, and it's such a, 
a thing that's not it's not talked about a lot in in yeah. church and um i i think it should be um and so, yeah. so it's great to hear um from you and past people that we've had on the on the podcast that when they talk about their faith on stage how strong and how how great yeah. that is for people yeah people forget that like life doesn't stop for us either you know we're we're on the bus getting phone calls hey your grandmother's on the on her deathbed you need to get home hey you know so and so passed away you need to get home like and taking red eye flights from Los Angeles to South Carolina in order to be with my family as my grandmother says goodbye you know like people forget that like musicians artists and all that like they're the easiest ones to i guess attack and criticize mm -hmm. oh yeah we got the same heavy weight stuff to deal with and just because we're on tour people think it's glamorous and all that it's like no nah, man we got problems back home you know like stuff happens stuff happens to us on the road we get sick you know like we're not we're not some bionic human you know <laughs> that that doesn't experience pain or, or problems so um, now you joined disciple in the disciple 3.0 i think it's called right since 2014 or so in that time in the six years you've actually had people leave again um, I, I think it was Andrew and Jason left in the last uh, six yep. or eight years or so. H yep. How is that when that happens? And I, I don't mean to get into like why or how, but like how how does the band move on from a change? They did it with you. They've done it prior to that. But yeah. for you personally, what is that like to have to kind of not restart, but um, kind of just get acquainted with someone new? Yeah, man, it's a it's a bummer because, you know, like when I joined the band, Jason and Andrew were there, obviously. So, you know, I became really good friends with them. Um, and I, I think Jason left in 2015. Um, and, you know, it was it was just kind of like, you know, he had his reasons and that and yeah, it was to be home with his family more. And, you know, touring has a shelf life for everybody. You just never know who's how long it is for each person. You know, every everybody's different. Everybody's built differently when you have wives that are in play, too, with people's lives, you know, in, in different situations. No. You just never know all the stuff that's going on in anybody's life. So touring just has its shelf life. Um, so, you know, when Jason left, I mean, it was a hurdle because, you know, his voice was very prominent on the Attack album because that boy can sing his butt off. You know, he can get he can hit all those high notes and everything. So it was, you know, we kind of lost that, that vocal. Um, we lost a bass player on stage, but it was just a hurdle that we had to overcome. And we, you know, we, we actually put the bass on tracks and we everybody be like hey who's your bass pl player and we're like his name's mac and his last name is book pro you know so um <laughs> mean kevin didn't take over bass no he don't want to do that anymore he'll he'll be the first to tell you that he he's average at best <laughs> yeah he, he he will tell you that he's like you don't want me to play bass and plus the day he, he always says you know the day that he was able to put down the bass and actually be a front man and move around he just he's so much more comfortable doing that and obviously you know it's way more engaging and, and a much more entertaining show when kevin doesn't have to worry about playing bass and getting back to a microphone like he can take that microphone wherever he wants yeah to. um but yeah and then you know when andrew left in i guess that was 2018 man time is moving fast yeah um yeah i mean that was a bummer too because you know andrew is a we call him saint andrew because we we don't believe he ever sins um, so, uh, one of the nicest dudes on the planet and one of the best guitar players I've ever had the opportunity to play with. So it's kind of like when you lose these teammates, it's almost like you're losing your, your star quarterback and he's out, 
you know, like with a, a permanent injury that he can't he can't play anymore or something. So, I mean, it's a huge bummer. But, you know, being in a band is obviously um, awesome. But the thing that I've discovered ever since I started touring back in 2011 uh, with my band prior to, to Disciple, there is constant just obstacles to overcome. Trailer tire blows out. You got to figure out how to do it van or bus breaks down you got to figure out how to get it towed there's just something that's always coming up so that's almost kind of like one of those things obviously a much bigger deal but you just kind of drop back adjust and move forward and so luckily we have a ton of friends um who you know are great at what they do uh who were looking to go on tour so you know john panzer uh from fight the fury and viridia came in and started filling andrew's shoes um we've had marco para uh, from amongst the giants come in he's actually been playing bass for us and he's an incredible guitar player um and uh and so we wanted a bass guitarist back on stage so marco's been playing for us dane allen sometimes will come out on tour with us and just tech he's from the band loyals and he's got an ins- oh, i love them he's got an insanely high range voice mm-hmm. so sometimes he'll stand off the, to the side of the stage with a microphone and sing like those high parts that oh, nice. you hear on the records. Cause Dane has actually tracked vocals on love letter, kill shot and long with the rebels. Uh, nice. I think, I think he was on long with the rebels. If I'm wrong about that, forgive me. Um, but yeah, Dane, our, our buddy from loyals is just amazing. So honestly, as much as it hurts to lose people along the way, God always just kind of like brings about like the kind of the next man up so we can like keep going and, um, and, uh, and, and keep doing what we're doing. So. And for the record, when I said Kevin was average at best, I'm referring to in many interviews, even on his uh, DVD, what was it? The, the first, the Last first home on the road. Yeah. And when it, when it was on the, the, or the fourth album on fair trade services, was it, Forgot that name of the album, but they they asked them about bass and they go, "I'm I am average at best." That's yeah. what I was referring to. Oh, dude, he he wouldn't be offended one bit because <laughs> he he would sit here and tell you the same exact thing. Yeah, so. I saw a fun fact. I saw Loyals at uh, in Nashville. I went it's- to uh, the Bad Christian Conference a couple years back, oh, cool. and it was uh, As Cities Burn was the return of As Cities Burn. Um, so it was at Cities Burn, Loyals, Emery, Kings Kaleidoscope, Derek Minor, awesome, yeah. awesome show. So I got into, I didn't had no idea who they were, and now I listen to them all. They're so good. Yeah, Dane, Dane is a very close friend of ours, the, the lead singer of Loyals. And if any of you out there have not heard of Loyals, definitely check them out. Um, they're they're we're actually label mates uh, on Tooth and Nail. So oh yeah, yeah, really cool. So I know we have we're kind of nearing the end here. We 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 there's so much to cover. Um, so we're skipping over some stuff. But obviously, since then, Love Letter Kill Shot came out last year. You guys then came out with a uh, deluxe edition of the album just this past September. Which I, I you know just to be completely honest, I miss Love Letter Kill Shot. And then when you came out with the uh, deluxe edition, I heard Enemy. And I was like blown away. So I got back into Love Letter Kill Shot um, just recently. And uh, it's it's awesome. It's a great album. Um, this year has been crazy for you, uh, for the band, for everybody. Um, but you've done some really cool stuff this year. So I just wanted to point out a couple things, um, kind of get your, your feeling on it. So number one, uh, you guys did in May a, a Love Letter Lockdown live stream show. Um, and I've heard from multiple people that it was super powerful to watch you guys play, even though you're literally playing, I think, in an empty room uh, yep. or venue. Um, how did that camera crew? <laughs> yeah. So, but 
but people seem to think that it was like it was like you guys were in front of a hundred thousand people. How was it like playing that hard uh, to no one, essentially? Man, I, I think it's the mindset of disciple, honestly, because we we don't even have to have a team meeting beforehand of like, all right, everybody, give your all tonight. It's just like everybody in their in their brain is like, we are going to go up here and rip every last shingle off this place. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, we're just not going to leave anything on the stage, you know, it's, and it's, it's an unspoken thing with us. So I think, you know, after our tour had gotten canceled uh, due to COVID back in March, um, you know, we had, we had just got five shows under our belt. We were like, you know, on tour with war of ages and our buddies paradise now from the UK Um we were five shows in having a great time. And then all of a sudden it's like in a day, everything's just gone. Um, so two months without playing a show and we were back together and we hadn't seen each other in two months, it was like, we're about to have some fun, you know? So it, at first, yes, it was weird because, you know, you look out and you're just seeing like a camera guy here and, somebody running a camera over here and somebody a camera over here. And, you know, Josh is in the back running sound and, um, and it's like, man, this is weird. But honestly, it really only took like 30 seconds into the first song. And it was just like, I just put my head down and was just like, I'm going to give this every last ounce of energy I've got. Cause who knows how many more times we're going to get to do this this year, you know? So, so yeah. Um, this year too, I think, uh, darkness dies was nominated for rock song of the year in the, we love Christian music awards. Yes, um, which was really cool, and um, uh, that's on "Love Letter Kill Shot" as well. I think you have a songwriting credit in "Darkness Dies" as well. I think I, that, I think I think I do. Yeah, and the um, uh, the new rock chart I think comes out tonight. And if it if we're still at number one, this will be eight weeks at number one, which will tie "Panic Room" uh, right. as our longest song being at number one uh, ever in Disciple history. That's so, awesome! Congratulations yeah. on that. <laughs> Um, I heard a really cool story about Love Letter Kill Shot. Can you tell me about that name a little bit? What, what does that even mean? Actually, I know. I just want to hear it. Uh, Kevin came up with it. Um, it, it we were just kind of like tossing around like what we wanted to name the album. Like for a while, we thought we were going to call it Reanimate. Um, we were going to name it after one of the tracks. Um, and I, I can't remember what some of the other uh, – options were but he came up with love letter kill shot and you know we had just done long live the rebels which was a four title or a four word title so when he first said it i think me and josiah both were just kind of like not really into it but he kept pushing it and everything and he he's basically talking about like if i know it correctly and i'm the drummer of the band so i should probably know this better than i do (laughs) but basically you know the love letter is is god's word to us um, and everything in the kill shot is that like entering like us as far as like, you know, and, and we say it in the song fire away, your love letters, a kill shot tearing through my soul, um, you know, and all that good stuff. So I probably did a bang up job at explaining it, but that's pretty much what it is. Kevin is so much more eloquent with describing that stuff because it was actually his, his baby. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it came to be. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Um, last two things I'll, I'll hit up uh, upcoming stuff. I know you guys have a live stream on January 23rd for the 10 year anniversary of Horseshoes oh, and Hand Grenades. We hope so. This is the second time we've had to reschedule it. 
due to COVID. I, I heard, I heard. Um, the thing I love about this, and I don't see a lot of bands doing this, is you guys are doing two lineups of the band. Um, yeah. And so uh, prior to this, have you got have you had any interaction with Disciple 2.0? Yeah, actually, Micah Sannon, uh, also known as the backflip guy, uh, to our disciple, our disciple uh, uh, fans. He, he was the guitar player during 2.0, would do the backflip off the cabs and everything. Um, and Micah actually drove our tour bus for a year and a half, two years. Um, and so got to be good friends with Micah. And, uh, and he actually some nights would get on stage with us uh, while he was driving our bus and play like the last song. Nice. Uh, his guitar wasn't plugged in or anything, but he would just get up there and just go nuts just to, just to, just to have some fun. Um, so he's the one that I've had the most interaction with, um, Andrew Welch, I've met, you know, a handful of times and, you know, just being in Nashville for that time, you know, we'd be at the same, like get together or whatnot and hang out and talk. Um, now the other guys I do not know as well, um, as those two. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it's going to be really cool to see those guys take the stage again and play as the 2.0, you know, we, we were just talking about it, you know, with this being the 10 year anniversary of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, which is still the most successful Disciple album um, as a whole. Um, how special would it be to bring back that lineup and let them play uh, a couple of songs from that record? Um, so I think it's going to be really cool. St. Augustine is one killer track. Yeah, it, it kills the legs, too. From- <laughs> <laughs> that, that one will wear you out. So uh, I guess the last thing here, and we'll call it a day, uh, you guys also just started um, a new band in 2021 called Honor and Glory, yeah. uh, which is going to be uh, Worship on, uh, I think it's on BEC, uh, yes. records, correct? Yeah. Um, that one is is basically you guys just doing a second band. Um, so how did that come about? Um, can you tell us anything about the upcoming uh, stuff that you're doing? Yeah, uh, so Ke- Kevin, like I think one of you guys mentioned it at the beginning. He loves worship music, and mm-hmm. um, you know I I'm not as big of a fan of worship music. I'll be honest, I don't really listen to that stuff. Um, and uh, I think Josiah plays some at his church. I played in church growing up, so I, I'm very familiar with worship music. Um, but Kevin's just wanted to do a worship project for a very long time. And we originally had talked about just releasing a worship album as Disciple. Um, and I actually brought up the concern of, you know, whenever a band like a rock band releases an album and it's a worship album under that name, there's a lot, you know, we get, we got our core fans who get it, you know, about the 500 to a thousand core fans that get what we're doing. But, you know, in the streaming world, when you've got 150,000 monthly listeners, if you release a worship album and 150,000 of them listen to that and they're like expecting rock and they get this like soft track and whatnot, that listenership is going to go away and they're going to stop like tuning into Disciple. Um, so I, I told Kevin, I was like, you know, Disciple's just always been a rock band and I think we should protect that and let Disciple exist as a rock band until Disciple is retired, you know? Um, and he like thought about it. He's like, I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, and I was really glad that I voiced my concern. I was kind of nervous. Cause I was like, you know, Kevin started disciple. So he really has the right to do whatever he wants to with it because I'm just, kinda, I'm still the new guy. I feel like, you know, um, but he, he respected that. And so we were like, 
why don't we just be the same members and start a, another band to where there's no like confusion with the music? Because there is a lot of disciple music that could be, you know, considered worship music, like some of our slower songs, like Draw the Line and all that. And we absolutely plan on playing songs like Draw the Line at an honor and glory uh, show, you know, like incorporating some of the disciple music. Um, but but yeah, so that's just kind of like our, our vision for that. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, potentially play a show on a Saturday night as disciple. And then, you know, whereas it's harder to get a, a rock show on a Sunday night, um, we could potentially play at a, at a church for their worship service that next Sunday or that the following day as honor and glory. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of our idea to, you know, like, you know, keep our music career going and prolong it and, and find new opportunities and veins that we haven't had the opportunity to go to. Um, so. Actually, the, what you were saying about keeping disciple a rock band, RJ, I don't know if you remember this, but two weeks ago we, uh, interviewed Joe Yerke and they're bit they were a Christian ska band they were around when the supertones were around five iron frenzy they were one of the big three and then they released a worship album and it was a very bittersweet because it kind of killed it, it, it well it killed him because he's known as the worship a person now but they're actually were a rock band so right. people actually totally forget about their other music, and now they're more known as the ska worship band. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you know, like it, pr pretty much any rock band that you think of that made a worship album kind of stuck with that because, like, if you make a worship album and it's super successful, and then you have all these listeners, that's what they're going to expect from then on out. Because if you try mm -hmm. to go back and make a rock album, everybody's going to be like, "That love that worship music that made hate rock music is going to be like, what are they doing?" You know. So, you know, like Hawk Nelson is a good example. You know, they were this like punk punk rock band and then they, they made the more CCM worship stuff. And now Hawk Nelson is not a rock band anymore. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're, they're that worship thing. So we just wanted Disciple just to be Disciple until it's like retired, you know, yeah. until, until the, the members of Disciple stop playing music, which I hope is never. Um, it, it just it just needs to live and die as a as a rock band you know so that's awesome well hey thank you for for joining us today it's been uh, a little over an hour we don't want to keep you too much longer here but we it's really appreciate like it I have anywhere to go <laughs> <laughs> i mean I'm, we? I'm, re we? I'm ready to party let's do this you know two, two more hours <laughs> okay well let's start when you were born then and we'll start all over again all right well it's uh <laughs> i've got a baby book at my mom and dad's house so <laughs> We'll wait. You can, uh, okay. <laughs> um, but honestly, thank you for joining us. Um, I know it, it's it's um, it was a really cool thing for you to say yes and, and join us today. It's been awesome for us to hear stories of the bands that we listened to and still listen to today. Um, something else that that really hit me just now is the collective bands we've really been interviewing. Some of them have been around forever, and they still are. They're still playing. That shows that God is really doing things through your band. Even though, like you said, it's, you know, no, nobody's a millionaire here. I, I, you know, I don't think um, in any of these bands, but God has sustained you guys. You're going on 30 years and a couple of years for Disciple. Yeah. And that's ridiculous to think about. Well, um, I, can, I can honestly say, man, like, I mean, God is a huge part of it. But, man, he's given us literally, I know every band says it, but he's literally given us the greatest fans in the world. And when I say greatest fans, I mean, like, some of the most generous fans I've ever met. 
Like mm. they're just they're just generous with either their time, their resources, their finances in so many form and facets, like gen generous with even just praying for us and just making sure we're taken care of, like, um, you know, spiritually and emotionally. Um, that's a healthy fan base like that is the reason a band thrives, you know, and we could not do it without any of them. And, that, and as cliche as that sounds, I 100 percent from the depths of my heart mean it. You know, our, our fans are great and they're, they're, they're what keeps us going. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that shows even in just your Kickstarters. I mean, to the, the first two albums you were on, I think both raised over a hundred thousand dollars with thousands of people giving. It was, it was crazy. It, it far exceeded anything we thought it was going to do. So that is awesome. That is awesome. But Hey, thanks again for joining us. Um, we hope to talk to you in the future again. Absolutely. Uh, maybe the next 30 year anniversary we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get you on. Let's see, um, I'll be 62. So uh, <laughs> I might have a few more gray hairs by then. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thanks for joining the four seven podcast. Uh, by the way, if you can stay on after we, uh, we go off live, we'll, uh, we'll just uh, call it a day with you. Um, but thanks for joining us on the four seven podcast, everybody. And we will see you again in a couple of weeks. We'll